Good morning, brothers and sisters. A hearty welcome to you all from Grace, Redeemer, and Ambassador. We're thankful that our live feed is now going. We hope that you can worship with us well this morning. We pray that God will bless our worship and that our Father in heaven may receive our praise in these special circumstances we're going through in our world. We have the following announcements from Grace Council. Elected and appointed to the office of elder are brothers Doug DeWitt, John Tote, and Wayne Versteg, and to the office of deacon, brother William DeWitt. If no lawful objections are brought forward, their ordination will take place, Lord willing, on Sunday, May 3rd, in the morning service. And from Redeemer Consistory, elected by the congregation and appointed by Consistory to the office of elder are brothers Jan Nobel and John Vanderlinde, and to the office of deacon, brothers Jason Rapp and Al Vienendahl. If no lawful objections are brought forward, their ordination will take place, Lord willing, on Sunday, May 10th, in the morning worship service. There will be a meeting of consistory, the Lord willing, this week, Thursday at 7.30 p.m. If you're able, please rise for worship. As God's people, we confess, our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Receive God's greeting, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's sing God's praises with the words of hymn 31.
holy covenant, that we know how to live thankful lives in response to the grace that we received in Jesus Christ. Afterwards, we'll sing from Psalm 65, stanzas 2 and 3. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that's in heaven above, or that's in the earth beneath, or that's in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's.
We rejoice because of all your mighty deeds. We may know that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Father, it fills our hearts with joy to hear this glad tiding. Our Savior did not remain in the grave. On the third day after his crucifixion, he came back to life. In this, we see our Lord's victory over sin and Satan and death. We may know him and worship him as our victorious king. We may rely on him for our hope and our salvation. And Father, we've just heard the ten words of your covenant. They expose to us our sinfulness. We pray that you will graciously forgive us all our sins. Continue to work in our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Grant that more and more our lives are transformed, that we may live them to your glory. Bless our worship this morning. Dwell among us by your Spirit, that we may hear and understand the gospel, that we may also offer acceptable worship to you. Grant that our worship this day may give all praise and glory to you for all your wondrous works. Comfort and encourage us by the preaching of the gospel. Enable us to live joyous lives in your service. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, please open your Bibles with me. We're going to read together from John 20, the first 18 verses. the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead and the various testimonies about this. John 20, beginning at verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they are going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in. And he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. 
But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Let's rise and sing together from Psalm 30, stanzas 2, 3, and 5. text for this morning's sermon is John 20, the verses 19 to 23. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. 
When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, today we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. This is probably the most significant thing that's ever happened in human history. It's through Jesus' suffering and death that he paid the price for our sins. But Jesus' atoning work would not have benefited anyone if he did not rise from the dead. A dead Savior cannot benefit anyone. It's through his resurrection, by coming alive again, that Jesus showed forth his victory. What you think, what you believe about the resurrection, forms the basis for how you live the rest of your life. We see this on display in the world around us. The COVID-19 virus has changed much about how we live our daily lives. Fear has swept through much of the world. Anxiety has filled the hearts of many. Our governments have shut down many businesses and have encouraged us to practice social distancing. They're following the advice of epidemiologists who specialize in how disease spreads. They're doing everything in their power to limit the spread of this virus in order to save as many lives as possible and to prevent our healthcare system from being overrun. Yeah, beloved, ask yourself the question, why are people so afraid of the COVID-19 virus? Many who get this virus don't even realize because they display few, if any, symptoms. Most of those who get this virus will have a cough and a fever, and after feeling off for a week or so, they'll recover. The economic costs of shutting down many businesses and encouraging people to practice social distancing are huge. Over a million Canadians have lost their jobs. Canada's national debt will go up by about 25% in one year, placing an even bigger burden on the coming generations. Why are people so anxious about this virus? I think that part of the answer is that people are scared of death. Everyone knows that one day they will die. But most people push that thought away. Our culture celebrates life. It avoids death as much as it can. When there's a new virus around that threatens death, people feel out of control. They look to the government to provide answers. They're willing to put up with a lot of social upheaval and to suffer economic pain just to get a sense, we're in control again. Many are willing to do whatever it takes to avoid getting sick or perhaps dying from the COVID-19 virus. As Christians, we're called to submit to our governing authorities to obey them in whatever does not conflict with the word of God. 
We are concerned about the effects of COVID-19 on those already suffering from other illnesses, those who are immunocompromised, or the elderly, since they're most at risk. And so, out of love for our neighbor, we do our best to follow our government's directions with respect to social distancing. But beloved, we don't need to be anxious or panic-stricken by this virus. We have a different perspective on life than most of the people in our society. We know our lives are not in our hands. We're not in control of everything that happens to us. God is sovereign over all. He sent his son Jesus Christ to suffer and die for our sins. Jesus rose on the third day to show forth his victory over sin and death. Christ has restored us to righteousness and life. We have peace with God. The Spirit has come to dwell in us to assure us that God is always with us. For us, there's more to life than what we experience in the here and now on this earth. The best is yet to come. With his resurrection, Christ shared these things with his disciples. I preach you the word of God under the following theme. The risen Christ appears to his disciples. He gives them his peace, power, and purpose. It's not until the evening of that first Sunday that Jesus appeared to his disciples. How he did so is remarkable. They were in a place that had the doors locked for fear of the Jews. Yet suddenly, Jesus appeared among them. He did not have to knock. He did not have to even open the door. He was simply there. And he wasn't a ghost. Verse 20 says, he showed them his hands and his side. Luke tells us that Jesus said, See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Jesus has a physical body like ours. Yet he has a glorified body. He's also God. He's not subject to all the laws that govern our physical life. It's important to note the mindset of the disciples. They had the doors locked because they were afraid. From a human perspective, their fear is totally understandable. Their leader had just been crucified as a threat to Caesar. It's conceivable that the Jewish leaders might come after them because they were followers of Jesus. Yet despite his willingness to suffer and die, Jesus had made a point of protecting his disciples he prayed for them in the garden, knowing their faith would be challenged. He stood up for them when the Jewish leaders came with a garrison of soldiers to arrest him, demanding that they let his disciples go. And now, after his resurrection, Jesus comes to them in the midst of their fear. Jesus stood in the midst of them. Showing them his hands and his side was not just to assure them that he was not a ghost, Jesus wanted to make it clear that it was really him, the one who had suffered and died, who was among them. 
He had holes in his hands from where, the, from where he'd been nailed to the cross. He had a wound in his side from where a soldier's spear had pierced him after his death. Jesus wanted to give his disciples every assurance. It was him, their Lord and Savior, who was alive again, who had come to them. Jesus does not reprimand his disciples for denying him or forsaking him. He does not rebuke them for initially doubting the reports of his resurrection. He didn't tell them off for not believing the words he had spoken to them earlier about how he had come to suffer and die at the hands of the Jewish leaders and how he would be raised up on the third day. Instead, he said to them, Peace be with you. He repeats these words a second time, saying, Peace be with you. What does Jesus mean by those words? The traditional Hebrew greeting, shalom, offered the blessing of God's rich peace. It included elements of rest and blessing, of security and prosperity. Under King Solomon, the Prince of Peace, Israel experienced shalom. Solomon subdued all Israel's enemies. Many of them came annually and submitted tribute to him. The writer of Kings pictures peace in this way. He said, And Judah and Israel lived in safety from Dan even to Beersheba, every man under his vine and under his fig tree, all the days of Solomon. The land was secure. The people experienced rest. Now before walking the pathway of suffering to the cross, Jesus had said to his disciples, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Now Jesus shows what he has done to earn that peace. By pointing at his hands and his side, Jesus made it clear to the disciples that he had suffered and died for them on the cross in order to grant them peace. Through his sacrificial death in their place, Jesus provided his disciples peace with God. Paul talks about this in Romans 5 verse 1. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ has restored us to fellowship with God by paying for our sins. In Christ, we've been reconciled with God. God's no longer angry with us because of our sins. They've been forgiven in the blood of Christ. God no longer holds our sins against us. He wipes the slate clean. Instead, he adopts us as his children. He loves us dearly. He's promised to care for us in this life and to allow us to share everlasting life with him. Not only does Christ give us peace with God through his blood, he also gives us the peace of God. Paul writes about that in Philippians 4. He writes, The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In this life, we can be confronted with many different fears and anxieties. 
The disciples experienced much anxiety and fear in the time of Christ's arrest, his suffering and death. They simply didn't understand what was happening. All their hopes and their dreams about Jesus being the Messiah were dashed when he was arrested and crucified. They were afraid of what would happen to them after Jesus died. They met together in a place and they locked the doors, afraid the Jews would arrest them for being followers of Jesus. Similarly, many in the world today experience much anxiety and fear. The COVID-19 virus has caused our governments to shut down much of what we experience as normal, everyday life. Many in our society are anxious about getting sick. They are deathly scared of dying. And beloved, that makes sense. If this life is all you have. The shutdown of much of normal life has created a lot of uncertainty and fear in people's hearts as well. Many people have been laid off. Or their businesses don't have enough work. People are worried about paying the bills. They're worried about whether the economy will recover. Life as we know it is out of our control. And that creates a deep fear in the hearts of many. We as Christians are not unaffected by these things. Those among us whose health is already compromised, or who don't have a strong immune system, or are elderly, are right to be concerned about the harm COVID-19 can do to them. Those who have lost their jobs or are struggling with little work may well be worried about how they're going to pay their bills. It is deeply unsettling for many of us that we cannot come together in worship or enjoy fellowship with one another. But should we be fearful? Should our hearts be filled with anxiety? Paul teaches us not to be anxious about anything. He tells us that by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, we are to present our requests before God. God is sovereign over everything that happens in this world. God holds our lives in his hands. He is the all-powerful God who can and does work for the good of those who love him. God has promised to care for us, to provide our daily needs. He has assured us of his love and faithfulness. He's made glorious promises to us, not just for this life, but also for the life to come. And so, beloved, we need not fear. Our hearts don't need to be filled with worry and anxiety. God promises that when we trust and depend on him, he will grant us his peace. The peace of God will fill us. It will guard our hearts and minds. With his peace, God puts a protective bubble around us. No, he will not always spare us trouble and sorrow, suffering and death. But God will be near to us in whatever we encounter in this life. He'll be a shelter a hiding place, a very present help in trouble. 
Perhaps the best way to convey this is with the image David uses in Psalm 131. David was confronted with troubles and adversity in his life. He simply didn't understand what God was doing. Yet instead of worrying or getting anxious, David says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. David doesn't get all worked up by his outer circumstances. He doesn't pry into the hidden things of God. What does he do? He says, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. David compares himself to a little toddler sitting on his mom's lap at rest, at peace, secure. That is the peace we may experience with our Heavenly Father, beloved, Rest and security in the power, the faithfulness, the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This brings us to our second point, and we'll see how the risen Christ appeared to his disciples to give them his power. Our text tells us that the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. His appearance among them confirmed the earlier testimonies about the fact that Christ had risen from the dead. Early in the morning, two of the disciples, Peter and John, had gone to the tomb. They'd seen the grave clothes lying there with the face cloth in a place by itself. They believed that Jesus had risen from the dead, even though they did not yet understand that this was in accordance with the testimony of the Old Testament scriptures. Mary Magdalene had come to them, telling them of how she had seen the Lord and passing on a message from him to them. Yet it was one thing to receive various testimonies about the fact that Jesus had risen from the dead. It was another to have their Lord and Master appear to them. Earlier, the disciples had been grieved by Jesus' death. All their hopes and expectations about the fact that Jesus was the promised Messiah had been dashed. They couldn't understand what was happening. Their hearts were filled with fear and anxiety. But now Jesus, their master, was among them again. His presence turned their sorrow to joy. Jesus appeared to them to assure them of the fact that he had truly risen from the dead. It was really important for them to experience that firsthand. For the disciples would soon become Jesus' apostles. They would be sent out to bring the gospel far and wide. They needed to know the truth in order to bring it to others. They needed to see and talk with Jesus, to personally touch and handle him, so they could bring the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection to those around them. After speaking peace to the disciples, Jesus said to them, As the Father sent me, even so I am sending you. Here we see our risen Lord commissioning the disciples. They would become his apostles. An apostle is one who is sent out as a messenger. The twelve disciples were specifically commissioned to preach the gospel of God's grace to sinners far and wide. 
so that many would come to believe that Jesus died on the cross to make payment for our sins, that he rose from the dead, that we might share in the new life he brings. Yet yet what is noteworthy is that Christ not only sends out his disciples as eye and ear witnesses, when he commissions them, he also equips them for their task. In our text, John writes, And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. It would be futile for the apostles to, ass- to attempt to serve the Lord in any manner, in their own strength. To go out and proclaim the gospel without relying on the power of the Holy Spirit would be futile. Remember what the angel revealed to Zechariah in one of his night visions. He said, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. It's clear that the proclamation of the gospel cannot and will not be effective without the powerful working of the Holy Spirit. It's only by the spirit that the gospel can be worked into the heart of anyone. So they repent of their sins and believe in Jesus Christ. What's not totally clear in our text is whether or not Christ actually bestowed the Holy Spirit on his disciples at this time. What did Christ mean when he said, receive the Holy Spirit? Did they receive the Spirit on that first Sunday when Jesus arose from the dead? Or was the gift of the Spirit first poured out on Pentecost some seven weeks later? Some scholars argue that Jesus' words, receive the Holy Spirit, were a symbolic action on Jesus' part that anticipated the imminent outpouring of the Spirit on Pentecost. They argue that if the, if the disciples received the Holy Spirit, the results are disappointing. They did not begin to preach the gospel with power until after Pentecost. John 21 shows that following a second appearance to his disciples a week after his resurrection, the disciples went back to fishing in Galilee. Thus, some believe that the Spirit was not actually given to Jesus' disciples on the Sunday of Christ's resurrection. I would disagree with that. The words Jesus speaks are always truth, and they always have meaning. The disciples needed the power of the Holy Spirit to believe the gospel. Faith, we say, is worked in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We also see the fruit of the Spirit in the disciples' lives. Instead of being consumed by fear and anxiety, we see them receive the peace of God and respond with joy at the appearance of our Lord. The disciples also needed the presence of the Holy Spirit during the 40 days between Christ's resurrection and His ascension. For it's during this time that Jesus met with them and explained what had happened to him was in accordance with the Scriptures. They needed his Spirit to help them understand and remember his teaching. We see the fruit of the Spirit at work in them in what Luke writes in Acts 1. He writes about how the disciples were gathered together with one mind, devoting themselves to prayer awaiting the outpouring of the Spirit on the church. Their unity and their prayer 
are not the result of some human effort. This is the working of God by His Spirit. And so we see that Jesus appeared to His disciples on that first Sunday, not just to assure them of the fact that He had risen from the dead, but also to bless them with the power of His Spirit. As Church of Jesus Christ, we today are also blessed by the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit has come to live in our hearts. We, beloved, are never alone. We may feel lonely and isolated during this time of social distancing. At times, fear and anxiety may spike in our hearts and our minds. But rest assured, God is with you. He has not left you orphans. According to Christ's promise, He's always with us. He comforts us by pointing us to Christ. By reminding us of how Christ died for the forgiveness of all our sins. And how He rose to make us share in a new life with Him. The Spirit lives in us to grant us the peace of God that surpasses all understanding and the joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. This brings us to our final point, and we'll see how Christ appeared to his disciples to give them purpose. We already touched on this in our last point. We saw that Christ commissioned his disciples He told them He was sending them out and He equipped them with the Spirit to witness about Him. The Apostles' task would be to extend Christ's peace and light and truth into this world. It would be to tell people everywhere about how Christ died to pay for the sins of all who believe in Him, how He rose to grant them new life. In verse 23, John shares the words with which Christ commissioned the twelve disciples. Jesus said to them, If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. Here Jesus gets at what the heart of the gospel is all about. It's not about God helping people with their personal problems. Although God also does that. The good news of salvation is about God forgiving our sins through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Some people have misunderstood these words in our text to mean that the apostles or that church leaders today have the power to forgive people their sins. That's not what our text teaches. Jesus' point to his disciples is is that if they would serve as his messengers, his ambassadors, When they preached the forgiveness of sins through grace in Christ, people could respond in two possible ways. By the power of the Spirit, some would repent and believe, and their sins would be forgiven. Others would harden themselves in their sins, and they would not be forgiven. What our text makes plain is that Christ has commissioned the church to witness to the world of His wondrous works. Christ's death and resurrection are the foundational events upon which the Christian faith depends. We, beloved, have a task to share the gospel with the world, 
to speak to others about Christ's atoning death for for the forgiveness of sins of all who believe in Jesus as their Savior, to share Christ's resurrection from the dead as a source of renewal and life for all who believe in Jesus as Lord. We do that in a more organized way through mission and evangelism. Yet each of us also needs to be a salt and a light in this world. Beloved, right now the world around us is confused. It's afraid and anxious. Many people are feeling like their lives are spiraling out of control. COVID-19 and its effects are wearing on many people. And the effects of this virus will continue to face people with many challenges in the months ahead. We have a glorious opportunity to live and speak the gospel. We don't need to be afraid or anxious. For the Spirit gives us the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. We don't need to be gloomy or depressed. For the Spirit gives us joy and hope in Christ. We trust that God is sovereign, that our lives are in His hands, that He is working all things for our benefit. The same Christ who loved us so much, He was willing to suffer the agony and the shame of the cross, is now seated on the throne at God's right hand. It's in Him that we find our security and rest, and now and forevermore. Let us share our comfort and hope with those around us. Let them see in our lives that we have a living hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. By Christ's resurrection, He makes us share in His righteousness. It's a testimony that our sins are forgiven by His blood, that we've been restored to fellowship with God. By His resurrection, Christ raises us up to a new life. He has given us His Spirit to free us from fear and anxiety, to grant us peace and rest. By His resurrection, Christ assures us of eternal life with Him. Even the threat of death loses its power. For those who believe in Jesus will never truly die. They'll live with Christ forevermore. Thus, today we celebrate Christ's resurrection. It's the basis for our comfort, our peace, our joy, and our hope. Amen. Let's respond to the gospel message by rising and singing together from hymn 32.
brothers and sisters, you're encouraged to continue to support the work of our deacons and to show forth love and care for one another. In our congregational prayer this morning, we'll remember the following. Uh, from grace, we give thanks that Corny DeWitt could return home from hospital. We rejoice in the engagements of Natalie Veltman to Jesse Borst from Carmen West and Marjorie Bust to Jason Lewin from Houston, B.C. For Redeemer, we give thanks that Jenny Rapp may celebrate her 90th birthday this Friday. Let's come before the Lord with thanksgiving and prayer. Our gracious God and Father, we thank you for the gospel of life and joy and peace that we have in Jesus Christ. We rejoice in the resurrection of our Lord. It gives us a whole new perspective on life. Despite the spread of COVID-19 and the anxiety and fear of the world around us, we need not fear, for we know that Christ has risen, that he is seated as sovereign king in heaven above. The Savior who died for us has our lives in his hands. He has promised to be near to us through all the struggles and sorrows of this tear-stained world. He has given us his Spirit to abide with us, to comfort us, to lead us in your ways. The Spirit works new life in us. He grants us peace and joy and hope. No matter what the outward circumstances of our life may be, Christ assures us he will take care of us. He will provide us with all we need for body and soul. Father, you've also granted us a glorious hope for the future. We may know that through faith in Christ, we may one day follow him. A great inheritance lies in store for us. A time of peace that surpasses all understanding. A time of joy that knows no bounds. A time of glory so wondrous, we cannot even imagine it. A time when we may dwell with you on new heavens and a new earth. Father, help us to eagerly await that day. Father, we give you thanks for your blessing in our daily lives. We're grateful that Corny DeWitt could return home from hospital. Help him to deal with the pain from breaking his ribs Grant him a full recovery of his health and strength again. We're grateful that Natalie and Jesse, that Marjorie and Jason could recently be engaged. Bless them and all our young couples who are preparing themselves for marriage. Help them to communicate well and to learn to know each other. Grant them a living relationship with you as a foundation for their future marriages. Father, some of their wedding plans need to be adjusted due to COVID-19. Bless them as they make alternate arrangements. We give thanks that on Friday, Jenny Rapp will be able to celebrate her 90th birthday. We're grateful for your nearness and care over her during this past year. Grant your blessings also in the coming weeks as her husband, Sai, remains in hospital. It's difficult not being allowed to visit him. Communicating by phone is not always easy. Continue to show your love and faithfulness to Sai and Jenny. Give them hope in your promises. Bless them in the year that lies ahead. 
Father, we pray for our world as is affected by the COVID-19 virus. Bless our governments. Give them wisdom in providing leadership in this crisis. Help them to make good decisions for the health and the well-being of the people of our land. Father, we look forward to the time when some of the current restrictions will be relaxed, when at least some more people will be able to return to work, when we'll be able to meet together in worship and to enjoy fellowship again. We pray for your blessing that these things may soon happen. Father, bless those who face health struggles. At times, these are well known among us. At other times, they're not. Yet we pray that you uphold and strengthen us by your word and spirit. Also, when we're faced with health concerns, when we're confronted with difficult struggles, when we bear heavy burdens. Father, remember, especially before you, those who are immunocompromised or who are elderly, who are especially susceptible to COVID-19. Protect us and keep us in your care. Continue to bless our doctors, nurses, and all those who work in the healthcare system or in other essential services. We thank you for their labors. Give them all they need to serve well. Father, we recognize that there are many in this world who do not know you or your wondrous works in Jesus Christ. We pray that this Easter the gospel message may penetrate the hearts of many. Bless us in our personal walk and talk, that we may give a clear testimony of your grace toward those who do not know you. So grant that your name may be praised by many throughout this world. Father, bless us further on this day. Give us joy in your service. Grant us what we need to honor you on this Lord's Day. Bless our worship again this afternoon. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's rise and sing our praises from hymn 82, stanzas 1, 3, and 4.
Receive the Lord's blessing and go your way in peace. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen. You're invited to stay on the live feed for a while. Al is going to play us uh, an Easter song based on the first verses of Matthew 28. And behold, there was a great earthquake. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear, of him the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto seek Jesus, which was crucified. Fear not ye, fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. 
not here, for he is risen. He is not here, he is not here. Fear not ye, fear not ye. Hey!